0: Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and uh, today's guest, Simon Palomares. Uh, I recorded this interview mid-year. We were banking a few for while Gruen's on. It's uh, hard for me to find time to record uh, with my Gruen schedule. Uh, But if you like this podcast coming out weekly, um, patreon.com slash Willosophy, W-I-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y. Patreon.com slash philosophy is the place to go to support it and that helps we pay Podcast Mike and Mike our US producer, and uh, James Fosdike, who does all the original artwork, and uh, means that these podcasts come out, uh, well, you know, they've come out most weeks this year, so uh, the best way to keep that happening, patreon.com slash philosophy, but this is one I sat down and recorded with Simon, uh, yeah, probably about uh, June, June, July, something like that, and uh, we talk about his movie, and uh, his movie, just this week, how's this? uh this is uh, proud to announce the movie has won the gold award for best documentary at the hollywood film competition so that's a, a great award for this film that uh, simon will tell you all about during this uh podcast during this interview during this chat uh i like simon a lot uh, we haven't hung out a lot over the years but every time we do i always have a brilliant and engaging and intelligent and thought-provoking conversation with him he is a hugely traveled comedian he has a great perspective on what comedy looks like worldwide and this is also the focus of the movie again i'll let him tell you about it rather than me do it all up here at the top but i think you'll find it an incredibly fascinating look at other cultures and where comedy fits into other cultures and what comedy can tell us about other cultures anyway it was great fun uh check out simon palomari's in all the places you can check out simon um and uh, if you get an opportunity to see his movie uh, which is now on the gold award for best documentary at the Hollywood uh, film competition, then, uh, please do that as well. Um, all right. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Um, we're going through a few episodes at the moment that I have banked. Um, there will be a couple of new episodes before the end of the year. Well, fingers crossed. There will be a couple of new brand new episodes before the end of the year as well. Um, but, uh, yes great episodes to come uh, some really huge guests and some really fun guests and some people you haven't heard of with but who just have brilliant conversations thanks for listening to the podcast i'm rambling it's sunday morning i'm only having my first coffee i'm whispering because uh, i'm trying not to wake the neighbors up all right enjoy this podcast Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the podcast starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you?
1: Hi, my name is Simon Palomares.
0: Hello, Simon <laughs> Palomares. It's good to have you here. I haven't seen you in ages. So this is a, a very nice excuse to uh, catch up, uh, which sometimes this podcast becomes, if nothing
1: I else. I think the last time we saw each other, I was walking on stage straight after um, Margaret Cho on set list.
0: Yes, yes, that, is, that That would be it. Now, so, okay, so for people who don't know what Set List yes. is, let's uh, talk about that just for a second because Set, set List is this uh, American show. Well, uh, uh, Troy Conrad was yes. the guy who came up with it, uh, took it to a guy called Paul Provenza, yep. uh, both great legends of American uh, comedy and the stand-up scene over there, yes. and uh, Troy has produced a whole bunch of very inventive shows, but he came up with this uh, completely devilish idea called set list now it's a completely improvised stand-up comedy show where the topics that you're going to do your stand-up comedy about flash up on a screen behind you and in front of you so the audience sees the topics at the exact same moment as you the performer see the topics and you've got to pretend as if it's your material and improvise some stand-up comedy
1: mexican midgets (laughs) and off you go (laughs) yes
0: now most of them are incredibly politically incorrect as well absolutely now, uh, what was your feeling uh, doing that show for the first time?
1: Um, it's, uh, it's completely, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, jumping, jumping without a parachute into, and, and basically, it's funny when people say, how do you feel? And you don't feel anything. You don't feel, you don't think about anything. You don't feel anything. You just, you just go. Your mouth just keeps going. Hopefully you make some sort of sense. Every now and then the audience laughs. And then next thing you know, you're off stage and it's over.
0: Well, you're an incredible performer because you've done such a range of different things. Uh, You know, like, I mean, stand up comedy, but like, you know, acting and directing and, uh, you know, filmmaking, all these sort of things as, as part of what you've done. And I
1: hold the Spanish copyright to set list, which we did in Buenos Aires uh, two years ago. Is that right? Yeah.
0: So you do that and you do that in, In Spanish. In Spanish.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So 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 degree of civility (laughs) times times ten above English. Yeah.
0: It's as if it's not a hard enough show already. Uh you you, okay, so Mm. there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but which of those things scares you the most? Because we talk about set list as being quite a scary thing to do, although you say you don't necessarily feel scared. People perceive that you would feel scared, but you don't get to. Of all the things that you've done, which of them scares you the most?
1: Um, uh, I think the first comedy festival show, well, it was the first, uh, the first Melbourne comedy festival. We, um, we, we were in, in, in a, in a bar at the at the Dick Winton Tavern. There was a, a, a bunch of us who were comedians around Melbourne, uh, John Pinder who ran The Last Laugh, a few people who ran venues and we all got together and we decided to put a comedy festival show the next year. We didn't know what a comedy festival even looked like. We just knew that we were going to do all these shows together and, um, in in safe in advertising, because our big dream, <laughs> our big dream was to take out a full page of advertising in the Age. Right. That was our big dream. All right. So we did that the, the year after, and then it sort of got out of hand, and and uh, you know they started getting uh, guests and all that sort of thing. Anyway, the, the first year of the Comedy Festival, I was in a show called um, uh, that that lawyers, guns, and money wrote called the Trial of Malcolm X. I remember Malcolm Fraser lost his pants mm-hmm. in Dallas in a hotel. Some weird thing that happened. So we had a a court case where the lawyers and the judges were real lawyers and judges and the witnesses were uh, improvising comedians, of which I was one of them. On the third day of that show, the guest judge was Peter Cook of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. So probably improvising on stage with Peter Cook Hmm. would have to be one of the scariest (laughs) things I have ever done at the age of 24. Yeah,
0: I mean, take me back to, so we're talking, what, 30 years ago now. So take me back to what comedy looked like in Australia 30 years ago.
1: It looked like The Last Laugh. That was... (laughs) That no, was it. And and I have to say that the Last Laugh was was a magical place. I I dreamt of the Last Laugh before going into it. And I don't know, did you ever did you ever see the Last Laugh? I
0: so I saw it. I never got to perform at the okay. Last Laugh. So yeah. the first in fact the first gig I ever went to, yeah. 15 years old, right. uh, me and my friends oh, okay. came down on the train from the country with fake right. f- with uh, fake IDs. Cuz you're from uh East Gippsland, East So Gippsland, down that's right. near, so we went to school in Sale yeah. and a bunch of us had seen Jim Yeah. on the big gig. Right. And we decided we we could we go and see him at the last laugh mm. and we took the train down to the city <laughs> with our fake IDs, right. got there way too early. Uh, it turns out you didn't need a fake ID to get in the last laugh. I'm pretty happy to <laughs> let anybody, anybody who was willing to pay for a ticket <laughs> yeah. into the last yeah. laugh. But
1: you, you, you remember opening those doors yes. and seeing this magical thing that opened before you, right? I yeah. mean, you were really transported into, an, into another place. It was incredible. Yeah. So, uh, I sort of had the same experience. Um, um, I grew up in Logan Street in, in Melbourne. Um, Spanish kid in the housing commission flats. Uh, Didn't speak English till I was 10 when I got here. Um, So this would have been like probably six. So six years after that, right? uh, Somebody gave me a ticket to see uh, Rich Livermore, Betty Blockbuster. Uh And that sort of blew my mind completely into what, was possible on on stage. I hadn't even really thought about about doing that. Um, so um, so basically, the whole dream was actually to to get a get gig- gig- Joke and and go from there. I know people hate those stories about about like I did one tryout and you know somebody saw me and that sort of thing. But actually, George Capineres and I did one try out at the Last Laugh, and there was a guy in the audience who um who had just uh, taken over the comedy cafe, uh-huh. um and uh, and he came up to us and said said Would you guys have like like about an hour and a half of material and we just, and we just looked at him and went, yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course we do. And How uh, much did
0: you actually have at that point? About 10, yeah,
1: 10, 10, nine good ones. And uh, <laughs> But we were, but we were, we were at Ruston. We were, we were student teachers and we taught kids how to write plays. So we always had the knowledge that you could just write something if somebody asked for it. So, um, so about two, three months later, we opened up with, uh, with uh, a comedy show at the, last at the at the comedy cafe we were downstairs upstairs was this uh young group of upstarts from canberra called the doug anthony all-stars oh yeah did just... they
0: ever <laughs> go on to anything else or no, 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 no. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the both 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 of us actually were like we were downstairs they were upstairs for like something like seven or eight eight months i think we did uh, a french festival together after that um and yeah so that was the scene that was the scene around uh around melbourne um, um i did a gig with uh, with George recently, and, and uh we're talking about, you know, some what the gigs are paying now and all that, and all that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, like 200 bucks or 100 bucks. And is said, when we're getting that, like we used to do two or three gigs because literally we just get in the car. We were like the Blues Brothers. We just get in the car at seven o'clock and do three gigs uh, on, on a Friday and Saturday night from, from one end of town to the other. Um,
0: it, it Well, it yeah. excites me to hear that because... Uh, I, as a kid in the country, so we're talking about the same, about the same time frame because I'm 45. Yep. So when I was about 14, 15, I was starting to really get into comedy mm-hmm. and the big gig, you know, and those sort of yep. shows started to be around and you started to get this idea of like the Melbourne comedy scene yep. and what was happening in Melbourne. So we're talking about, you know, pretty much, I imagined and hoped that that was what was going it, on it in was, Melbourne.
1: It was, a, it was a beautiful time because we had like, I grew up in Logan Street where where you had, You had this great um, Italian neighborhood. It was the end of the. When I moved into Logan Street, it was the end of the Jewish period. So you still had like uh, uh, kosher butcher shops and stuff like that in in Carlton. They were moving out. The the Italians were were studying like the the Italian Italian, uh, festa and all that sort of thing. And then you had uh, La Mama, you had the Pram Factory, you had Melbourne Uni, this great mixture of like intellect and ethnicity all, all grown in. And, um, and basically, you know, it, that was my backyard, you know, that's where I went downstairs to play.
0: And you were studying, as you said, you were, you were studying teaching?
1: Drummer and psychology. Yeah. yeah. And so. Peter Rosethorn was in the class, uh, George Capiniarra's, <laughs> um. I mean, it's like, yeah.
0: it's a loss to teaching, but it is a great gift to comedy. <laughs>
1: I know.
0: I, so what, did yeah. you imagine that comedy might be something that you would, you know, make a career of at that point? Or was it just something you were doing as fun? Um, It
1: was, you know, when you talk about a career, it's just sort of like a career happens with one job after another, you know, and that's, and you you look back on a career. I don't think how much you actually plan a career in this. Um, So consequently, um, you know, we were just sort of schlepping around Melbourne doing gigs and and, and so on. George then went off and did... um, um, I, I've I've got a a, a bit of a thorn on my side because I actually never got to perform downstairs at the Last Laugh, right? Because we on the first comedy festival we did a show called Wags at Work, mm-hmm. which basically, never heard of it. No, right? <laughs> well, we sort of went we 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 went from that from uh, that show basically just just uh, went from if you you stood on you stood on stage at the at the Theatre, right? Uh huh. Okay, if you can imagine that theatre filled for. Uh, 8 shows a week for 14 months
0: <sighs> i mean it's amazing, <laughs> it's right? amazing right it's amazing well it's not even yeah. amazing it is unheard of
1: it was it was it was like a like a bubble that just yeah. happens in time it was just like this this show that came at the wrong time never been anything
0: be- like it beforehand no. never been anything people, like it since
1: people were seeing seeing their families people had thought that the the that their families were the only weird ones you know within the walls of their house. were in a theater with a thousand other people. We were fighting all this. You know, we were we were getting banned in two or three different states from because you know we couldn't use the word "wog" or that sort of thing. Uh, we did the opera house for two months. We couldn't we couldn't advertise the name of the show on the facade of the opera house because that was uh, deemed offensive. So we 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 had all this all this stuff, which is funny because now. You know, now now uh, some people use use that as sort of like in the old days. You could actually laugh about anything, and I you know, and you go, and I go, no, I remember being in court actually <laughs> trying to use the word wog? Um, yeah,
0: we we, know, we couldn't advertise the show.
1: We couldn't advertise the show at the <laughs> Opera House, which was sold out for two months. So, um, uh, and then uh, yeah, and so so uh, uh, moved on from there. But yeah, it was it was a really it was a really fun time. Also, it was it was. Uh, it had uh, all different styles of comedy, like The Last Laugh had Circus Oz, uh, Los Rios Ring Barkers, um, The Brass Band, uh, a great busker called Hokum W. Jeeps, who came from um, from America, and, and they were just like, you know... Uh, whimsical people, you know, and and anybody could do anything, not just stand-up comedy.
0: Uh I could talk to you about uh the old days of stand-up comedy all day long, but I'm not sure that no. every single person listening no. to this that would be that would okay. be my dream podcast. <laughs> I would like to know about every detail of it, but we should talk about some other things. Let's start by asking you the question I ask everybody on this podcast, which yes. is, do you have a philosophy?
1: Uh, on my arm here there is a, a Japanese word which uh, it, it doesn't mean um, ramen noodles with beef. Have you checked? Have you checked to make sure? I did check because I actually (laughs) ran next door to the to the Japanese restaurant before I got a (laughs) tattoo. Right. You're like,
0: I'm just gonna check. Do you have this on your menu? And I said to the guy, guy,
1: can you read that? And he said, Ikigai. And I said, yeah. And he said, We but we don't have this here. (laughs) (laughs) And I ran back to the tattoo parlor. It means it means the reason you get up in the morning. What is the reason you get up in the morning? And the reason I get up in the morning and I actually have to find this in everything that I do is to find a similarities between people of different backgrounds and that goes from day one from everything I've done to today and if I can I can tick that box off um, I'm very happy working on on any project.
0: Well that's firstly absolutely beautiful Mm -hmm. and secondly what a great way for us to be able to talk about all the things that Mm -hmm. you've done because it is not only is it a tattoo on your arm but it does seem like a consistent theme of the work that you've chosen Mm -hmm. over your lifetime. Let's go back to that 10 year old kid for yep. a start, you know, getting here, not being able to speak, you know, the language, how does, how does that make your life like when you're 10 years old?
1: Um, it, uh, it, it, it gives you a sense that there's, a, there's a, a personality that's already formed. And I think that was the big difference with the, with the people that, uh, that I work with later on in life, that uh, for 10 years of my life, I was not part of a subculture, right? I was actually a Spanish person who was Spanish in Spain. Okay, so when I came here and I started sort of feeling, you know, any racism or anything like that, I would look at them like going, really? (laughs) It's like (laughs) what you've got to offer is not better than, you know, some of the stuff that I've seen. Um, And um, uh, so in a sense, in a sense, it's always been, you know, and can I can I also say that, you know, being Spanish, we sort of. We sort of we went of the liked you know one of the popular right. you know foreigners you know French French and Spanish people Latinos as long as we're dancing and cooking everybody lo- everybody loves us you know it's like it's like you know um, so so you know you get you get a bit of a, an easier run. <laughs> uh, I'd
0: like to be racist to you, but let me finish <laughs> these tappas. <laughs> That's right. And then, and then we can dance <laughs> some tango and then, then <laughs> and then I'll come back to you. Then I'll be racist. Then I'll come back to you.
1: So, you know, it's it's it's, it's very different. Um, uh, you know, there, there are different levels of, of, mm. of what you what you end up getting. But also the other thing is like the people, like the Greeks, Italians, um, that I that uh, grew up with, it's like they had been, they had, Been born here and been part of of a subculture all their lives, and that's a different that that gives you a different makeup as well. Okay.
0: Okay. So, uh, what's what's life look like for you at that point of your life, though? What you know, tell me about like you know why did why did your family come here in the first place like what was the sort of dreams and aspirations uh, we
1: came here for two years um you know 47 years later sort of um you know okay so it wasn't
0: here. a big plan of like you know we're moving to Australia no, forever
1: no I'll tell you I'll tell you how the decision was made and I told this um I, I did it I was the first Spanish comedian to be invited to the Montreal comedy festival I think I ran into you in the street you know and <laughs> <laughs> over there and uh, and I, and I've got another tattoo we can go through all my tattoos yeah. actually because well this would be a good one it's yeah. like a it's
0: like momentum and we is. can just go through the tattoos <laughs> and that'll be the entire podcast. That's it.
1: That's it. Um, so this tattoo means, is, uh, um, quereres poder, which means where there's a will, there's a way. Okay. And, and, the and because I was this, the first Spanish uh, comedian to be invited and I did a show in, in Spanglish to an audience of Spanish, um, Spanish Canadians. Uh, they all spoke English, Spanish, and French all in the one room. So you could actually change from one language to the other uh, as you, as you were performing. Um, and I told this story, be, which was, uh, we had, my parents had immigrated to Germany in the sixties, right? And I was actually born in Germany, but I was only there for like a, a few months. And then we, we, my, my first 10 years of my life were spending in Spain. One day, my father decided he wanted to immigrate again. So he went to the immigration office in Madrid and there were three queues, one for Germany, one for Canada and one for Australia. So he stood, he lined up for Canada, right? And the line was getting closer to the window, closer to the window. And then a friend of his came into the, into the office and saw him there and said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm, I'm signing up to, to go to Canada. And he goes, you know how fucking cold Canada is? <laughs> and with that, he changed cues to Australia. And I told that on stage <laughs> in Canada, right? And everybody agreed <laughs> that it was that cold. <laughs> if you've been to Montreal in winter, you know it's that cold. And that's, and that's how the decision was made. Right. You literally just jumped the queue to, to go to another country.
0: And what was high school like? So you've, you've landed here pretty much to go into high school. Where, um, did you, where did you go to high school?
1: I went to high school at University High in, uh-huh. uh, uh, here in, in Melbourne, which was, was actually, uh, it had a fantastic music and, uh, and theatre program. Uh, it was actually a, a – it's probably one of the best uh, public school, public high schools in, in, in Victoria. And uh, uh, so there was a, a high level of um, – it, it's funny because there were a lot of people, a lot of kids from housing Commission flats who, because of the area, ended up going there. And a lot of them did very well um, coming out of there. A lot of um, – uh, like, I mean – a lot of the young uh, Greek Italian kids that I went to school with ended up being restaurateurs and sort of names. And, and actually, uh, you know, they, they made a huge jump in their lives by going to that school, you know, coming from the backgrounds that they did.
0: Um, often I find that people who, you know, decide that they want to be teachers, yeah. uh, want to be teachers because there was a teacher in their life mm. that inspired them. Was there one for you?
1: A number of them, mm. a number of them. And, um, um, and I had uh, great Eng- uh, English teachers. Uh, a couple of them actually have joined. You know, uh, uh, friends on Facebook now. Actually, like you know, forty years later. And um, uh, so, so the, you know, there the were a number of. Uh, there was a, a, a French teacher and and uh, uh, and a history teacher who was so he was so cool and so dark. And you know, he was he was the kind of guy. He was uh, uh, he would he would roll up. <laughs> roll up cigarettes and actually go outside and keep teaching the class from outside <laughs> so he could be smoking <laughs> and looking at the class through the window. right? Because <laughs> he wasn't allowed to smoke inside the class. <laughs> and we were we thought we were so cool, Mr. Mr Andreo. Um and, uh, but you know, he, he basically like everything he said was like pearls of wisdom mm. because, you know, we were so mesmerized, me- mesmerized by him. And, um, yeah. And from there, um, uh, went to, uh, weird thing was that, uh, I, uh, I, I grew up in an Italian neighborhood, went to a high school, which was mainly Greek. And then I went to a drama college where I was the only European person there. Cause the, this, it was all like, you know, um, Anglo kids, uh, uh, at that point, I sort of started traveling when I finished high school, I sort of went out of, of Melbourne and, and went to a few places. I was really quite surprised how Anglo the rest of the country was. Right. quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really expected the rest of the country to sort of like have, have a bit of, as much colour as as, as, as Lygon Street as Ligon and Carlton, <laughs> and it wasn't. It was like, you know, I'd go to places going, where are the ethnic people here?
0: I'm scared. Hey, they're all in Lygon Street in Carlton. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. It, it was scary to see so many people that looked the same. Yeah. How did
0: you? How were you accepted by people? once you got out of that community though, did you find yeah. that you, cause you are, a, I, I mean, I don't know what you were like back then. I've always found you to be an incredibly warm and open yeah. person, like, a, you know, in the time I've known you, but w- did, was it the same back then? Did you find that you were embraced by people or did you suddenly encounter, you know, sort no, of? No, we,
1: we were sort of like, the, the thing is, um, um, it was sort of like a bit of, a bit exotic in that, in that mm. sense. And, and um, um, so we made, you know, very good friends in, in, um, in, uh, 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 at college when we were, uh, studying uh, drama and psychology and, you know, and there were people who were very talented and, um, you know, to be in the same class with, uh, with Peter Rosethorn and, and, and George Cappanieros and so on, you know, it was, it was just a, a really nice, um, Rachel Griffith, I think was there a couple of years after that, right. you know, um, it was, it was actually a very chill because we went there to be actors. You see, we were there to be teachers. It's not like you, you go to NIDA and you go to, um, um, VCA and you do three years of drama and then you do a showcase and you get an agent and you go away and you wait for the phone to ring. And I think that's one of the biggest differences that is that we always knew that we had the power to create because we taught people to create and to put shows together. So whenever somebody said, oh, we need to write a show about, you know, something, you know, making a podcast and you just, you just do it. And, uh, and consequently that, that has always been the case. And, you know, someone came up to us and said, can you, can you write a sitcom? And we just go, sure. Why not? <laughs> how hard, how hard can it be? And you go home and write a sitcom and, you know, and and if you don't get it right the first time, I mean, you know, nobody gets, gets it right on the first draft. You know, it's, it's, uh, as, as we learn through, um, uh, Working on uh, on Acropolis now. It, it's it's a it was a collaboration of working on a script for a week and bringing it to life and all that sort of thing. But by by that stage, we had done quite a few uh, plays and shows and and cabaret shows and stuff. So what on.
0: do you think is the major hurdle that stops people from being able to sort of you know to make things? That's what you're basically yeah. talking about. Yeah. And you're somebody who's made a range of things. Yeah. And I think you know a lot of the time the reason that people don't make so many things is because they. They think there's hurdles in the way of them making
1: something. It's a number, it's a number of things. Every, every country that I work in, right, um, every, uh, people have got the, the, uh, the, the trajectory of what success looks like, right? And for us now here, it would have to be something like getting a, a Netflix special. Okay that's sort of like the next step of success. It used to be the last laugh. It used to be working at the the Spiegel tent, which you know was a great place to to work in then get your own TV show blah 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 all that sort of thing um so so if it's not in that trajectory, then people feel that that they're failing or that they're not doing the right thing in in their business when you've been when you've been watching uh comedians for for 35 years and you see that maybe once every nine years you see a tim mitchin come along or you see a hannah gatsby kick a goal like she did with nanette right last year um then then you realize that that for the large part most people are just doing what everybody else is doing and trying to copy that and i see that over and over again every time i go into an open mic uh you know, session, which as, when, when I'm, when I'm back in Melbourne, I get up on stage every week somehow, you know, and I just turn up and hopefully I get a, a spot or a don't. And, and the thing is, uh, um, the, the whole idea, what, what I keep seeing is people that go to an open mic, see what everybody looks like. You had a wonderful young man, um, the, the gay comedian. Reese Nicholson? Uh, yeah. No. With the glasses? Yes. Probably very well dressed. Yeah. Yes, Reese Nicholson. Yeah, I loved. I loved. Yes. I loved his podcast because he actually said, "I went to the to to um uh, the comedy store, saw how everybody was dressed, and went and did something completely different, yeah. right, and came back. And that that very very few people do that.
0: Just did a Conan as well, yeah, Reese Nicholson. Did
1: a fantastic spot on Conan. Yeah, brilliant uh,
0: comedian spot. and yeah. uh, braining it all over the world at the yeah. moment. But yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Someone who looked at what was going on, and says didn't say I want to be like that. Yep. Someone who looked at what was going on and said I need to be different yeah. to yeah. that.
1: The purple cow, which is the uh, the Seth Godin. If you want to get into mm. get into uh, in my first two years of of uh, working on the cruise ship, I, I finished an MBA in um in arts and entertainment management. So the the purple cow is is. Is the the cow that stands out of, of the herd when you're driving down the road, mm. and very few... well. As as
0: I was raised on a dairy farm, if there's you know, a purple cow, you know, they certainly would be standing out exactly. because there's something wrong with that cow. The exactly. <laughs> cow is not meant to be purple. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I don't know yeah. a lot about farming, but I'm pretty I'm pretty willing yeah. to go on the record. If there's yeah. a purple cow in your herd, right. you should stop and have a right. look at that.
1: So so a lot of people like when I do classes, people people go, well, you know, I don't I don't want to be defined as, as the Asian comic. I don't want to be defined, and I'm going and I look at them and go. You know, when you stand up on stage, they're going to notice, yeah. <laughs> they're going to notice, right? And there's a good chance you're going to be the Asian comic, whether you like it or not. Right. So you either grab that, right? Um, as uh, And as much as you, it might not sit well with you. Grab right? that and then add to that. And then add to that. Yes. Yeah. Ma- and, make sure that yeah. when they
0: say, you know, so which Asian yeah. comic are you? You're the one who, you know, Ali Wong is the, you know, is Asian, but yeah. Ali, Ali Wong did a Netflix special, Pregnant. Ali, there's... various ways you can identify who this person is. Exactly.
1: You know, and if somebody needs to to remember you, then they'll, you know, they'll remember you for that and everything else, everything else you've done. Um, and it's just, That's an
0: interesting perception, though, isn't it? That like there can be a difference between what you want to be and how people will think of you, regardless. Regardless. And regardless. Having an, an acknowledgement yeah. of both of those things, because yeah. I think it's great. Like yeah. the idea that you don't want to be that; you yeah. want to be more than that. Fantastic. Yeah. We, but I, co- also I come in, out. Yeah. I come
1: out. I come out of Acropolis now, mm. right? And I go to. Um, uh, to the Butterfly Club and I do a cabaret show dressed in drag and singing songs and makeup and the whole thing and there's, it's so sad because then I get I get this I get these Acropolis Now fans on the front row looking at me going that's not Rick <laughs> <laughs> where's Effie, right? And I'm going, I feel so bad for them. Where's Effie? And I feel so bad for them because I just go, I just go, this is, it's me, but it's the wrong show. You know, you're not getting the wog stuff tonight. I have to do this for myself. You know, I have to do something different.
0: But as an artist, so tell me about that, because there would be some people who would be, who would say, okay, I've been involved, with some of these iconic characters that yeah. people love, and I could probably trade on that for the rest of my career. Do I, some I, version. I got a phone
1: call yesterday to to you know do another you know W show, <laughs> all yeah. right. And um, uh, at some point you have to bite that bullet. Uh, I I made a decision about ten years ago not to not to do a show with with that word, uh, and also because it doesn't it doesn't relate to me anymore. If I wanted to sort of explore about who I am and ethnicity and background and all that sort of thing. Um, 10 years ago, I started just going overseas and performing in Spanish and I went back to Spain and I got into comedy central and I did television in Spanish. And then I went to Argentina and Peru and, um, Costa Rica. And for 10 years, I've been standing up in front of people that have never heard of me before.
0: So this brings me to something that I'm fascinated about and obviously wanted to talk to you about today as well, which is your incredible knowledge of world Mm-hmm. Comedy. Yeah. So let's, let's start with what you're doing right now and yeah. work backwards, perhaps might be okay. the best way to do it. So tell people about your latest project.
1: Uh, I did a, 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 a film called Latigo, which means whip uh, in Spanish. And it's, uh, I went to Cuba basically by myself with a, uh, an iPhone 10 and a camera uh, and lots of red tape and went to Cuba and did a documentary about the stand-up comedy scene in Havana in Cuba Now so <laughs> which is a country that has been closed off to the west for 65 years and is just getting internet yep. now
0: it's just getting internet now and it's going to be ruined in about 10 years. So this is the sweet spot. Three you years. Know. Yeah. Okay. Three. three Sorry. Years. Okay. I better book my <laughs> flights. <laughs>
1: yeah. And but and can I say, can I say, you're trying to just say ruined because basically people are not going to stay poor just for you. All right. <laughs> no, <laughs> forever. I, I mean
0: ruined. <laughs> yeah. I, when yeah. I say ruined, I mean more by yeah. the commercial. You can see the, oh, yeah. the old, what it was yeah. is, is going to be no longer. And you absolutely, that's a good thing to, uh, yeah. I pick me up on yeah. because that is such a privileged way of looking at yeah. a, you are know, like, oh, it's, it's yeah. going to lose all that delightful yeah. poverty. And, and, you know?
1: and I've said that, and I've said that to Cuban. So you, yeah. how do you feel when, when, when tourists say, you know, I've got to get there before Cuban mm-hmm. is ruined. And, and they say Cuban yeah. is ruined. Yeah. That's why they come here. Yeah. You know, they come
0: <laughs> to enjoy the they, ruins. That's right. And they they come, don't want us to, Yeah, <laughs> they, don't want,
1: they don't want us to improve our lifestyle yeah. because, you know, then, then it won't be that, that human zoo type of experience. That yeah. is
0: actually an incredible point to make yeah. and a good point to make from, like it is, it's a perspective thing because yeah. when I say that and I, I said that because I actually have had that thought many times. Uh, You know, I also say I should go to the great barrier reef before it's ruined. It is actually going to get ruined. (laughs) I can still say it for that. I shouldn't say it for Cuba. Uh, but, How much red tape is there to even try to do something like this in Cuba? Because it seems to me like it would be an incredibly difficult thing to even envisage.
1: Well, uh, uh, I went to Cuba about three years ago for the first time, and the first thing that happened to me, uh, I was staying at an Airbnb with a lady who was an oncologist, and she earned $12 a month uh, and made extra money renting out a couple of rooms in her house, right? When I got to Cuba, the first thing that happened to me was I put my um, my credit card in an ATM machine and he kept it. And uh, I went into the, into the bank and they said, oh, sorry, your bank has uh, um, you, uh, closed off your account. Uh, you have to call them. Now, my phone didn't work in Cuba uh, so I had no way of calling all that sort of thing. Then I went to my head started sort of raising to work out what I was going to do because I had no money. And I went to a, a Western Union offers, and this massive, tall black lady with huge hair and long nails had to hear said, "Don't worry, you know everything. Everything is sorted in Cuba. Don't worry about it." And I go, "Okay." And I said, "Okay." Well, I'm trying to get somebody to send me money from Australia, and she goes, "Oh, Australia. Hang on, let me check." And she gave me, and she gave me a list of the countries that could send money and the ones that couldn't. And I was holding in my hand the embargo, a list of the embargo of the countries that deal with Cuba and the countries that don't. Um, so you know, United States, Australia, all well, the you know, they're all top of the list. And uh, and then I'm looking down I'm going, Peru, Peru. I, th- I think I know someone in Peru. I've got a cousin. I've got cousins in Spain and other sort of thing. Anyway, for so for six or seven days, I literally walked around with no money. The lady who owned um, twelve dollars a month basically fed me for every night. You know, gave me gave me a hot meal. Uh, and eventually, and this is me speaking Spanish, I'd hate to think what it would happen if it was, you know, somebody, a tourist who didn't speak Spanish trying to work this out. So I realized that, that, you know, um, internet, I, I sent, she, she had internet at home because she was a doctor. So she let me have five minutes of her 25 hours a month that she was allowed to have. So she, she gave me five minutes and I sent a message to all my friends saying, I'm stuck in Cuba. I haven't got any money. Blah blah blah. You know, can you can you help me out? Right. The next day, she gives me another five minutes to check my uh, my Facebook and, and and my emails. I've got nothing from anybody, any of my friends and family, because it doesn't matter how you write that message. It sounds it like sounds, a hack. It sounds like a Nigerian like a scam. It I, would, no, like I a, would be like, absolutely. Oh, oh,
0: Simon, you've been ha-. That would be the only <laughs> that thing be, that I would say, you a So everybody yeah. trashed
1: it. Everybody <laughs> trashed it.
0: I'm not clicking on this right. link. No. Sure, you're in Cuba sure. with no money. Yeah, right. yeah I'll get straight <laughs> to yeah. a Western Union <laughs> just after I get my payment That's, from that Nigerian princess.
1: <laughs> That's right. So... So, I had to then write to everybody again. So, now, now we're in day three, I'm writing to everybody, giving them personal information, saying, No, it really is me. Yep. And eventually, it, you know, and, and then nobody could actually work, find a way of sending money eventually. And this went on. So, for, for a week, I was actually walking around Havana with no money, uh, no way of getting around, uh, and just took thousands of photos. And I kept walking past comedy shows, right? And I'm going, What on earth are these people laughing about? And made a point to actually come back and get some money and thank the, the the lady that was that I was staying with because you know she was just amazing, uh, uh, you know taking care of me um, for that whole week. And uh, and then when I went back, I I went to see some comedy shows, um, took a lot of cash with me to make sure that you know I, um, I, it wasn't going to happen again. And uh, and then the third time I went was when I went through the embassies and said I want to do a. A uh, documentary on on comedians. Um, they gave me a production company that I have to work with. The producer there basically said I have to be with you all the time when you're filming, uh, which was actually great because he he actually knew everybody. We got we got. Um, uh, access to all the comedians all the television shows all the sitcoms and and so on in 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 Cuba and you know and they were very open about what they could talk and couldn't talk about and and um and the reason it's called latigo is because there's a very famous phrase by um, Jose Marti who's a, a Cuban poet who says who says humor and satire uh, to society is like a whip with jingle bells on the tip right And, uh, which is sort of like, you can hear the jingle bells coming and then bang, right? just, and, and, uh, it, it was such a a beautiful way to describe humor and, and what we should be doing with humor. And, um, and then in talking about what they could say and not say, um, with, with the government, um, uh, the, basically the line was you can, you can criticize, but you can't make fun of the government, right? which i thought that's an interesting line of where that is so they talk they criticize the society and the and the and the, and the standard of life a lot and it made me think a lot about like we we make a lot of fun of the government especially trump now and and everything else but how much do we actually change how much effect do we actually have as comedians by making fun of of the people in power and right now, when you look at, you know, the world and, and who is in power, I don't think we'd actually make that much of a difference.
0: I stopped uh, about, I reckon it was four or five years ago. Four or five years ago, I did my last show where, what you would consider, your yeah, stand-up show, mm. that where, I, where I made fun of, you know... The people, yeah, you know, you know, any traits of the people who were in charge, yeah. And I decided, and it was around probably around, you know, that Trump era kind of was the nail in the coffin. But I, I, in my head, I very much had this revelation that you know that you've been talking about in this, which is you're doing nothing talking about the people, making fun of the people, you know, you've got to be talking about the society and you know, what the things that these people say and do and how it affects society, mm. that's what you've actually got to be talking about. Yeah. You can't be talking about the people. In some ways, if you're making fun of the people, it's a distraction from what the people are saying and what the people are doing.
1: The first 10 years of my life were spent in, in, a, in a dictatorship, right? The Franco dictatorship, where you weren't allowed to, to make fun of anything to do with the government, right? And people were afraid of basically getting a tap on the door in the middle of the night. And and disappearing. So, um, so I went from that to to then uh, some great you know living with people like Goff Whitlam and and, um, and Bob Hawke who just passed away now. And you know, so there was some some pretty interesting interesting leaders that that I've seen seen along the way. And then a lot of really sort of beige people that you know have gone into power and you know um, um, and so on. So so to actually, I, I keep going back to to the one thing a great line, which is, which is a good leader is someone who takes the people where they want to go. And a great leader is someone who takes the people where they need to go. And sometimes people need to be taken, they're kicking and screaming basically. And also we, 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 we're living in a time now where, where reality has, has become dubious basically, because, um, you know, you told that that what you believe is wrong, and and some of those things that we we believed for years. Sanity, sanity is an agreed reality. Okay, if we've got a cup between us here on the desk, right? It's a black cup. Do you think it's a black cup? It's a black cup. I agree. You're right, and that's a reality. We agree on that. Okay, if suddenly you say, well, it's actually, it's, if I say it's a blue cup, well, it's right, a, that's fake news. That's fake news. It's fake news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I am gaslighting you. Yeah. Right. And and saying, No, your perception is wrong of that cub, right? And that's and that's what happens now. And, and things that we've believed for a long time, the, the earth is round and the earth is flat. Oh we've got we've got um, uh, equal opposing opinions. No we don't. No. One is bullshit yeah. and the other one's <laughs> been proven for, for centuries, you know? Okay. They're not equal opinions.
0: Yeah. Well that's just know. my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I'm entitled to it. Yeah, you're
0: entitled to it. That's right. You're wrong, though. You're also still wrong. Yeah, you are entitled to be wrong. And
1: some of the arguments that we have about you know, freedom of speech and like the freedom of religions, you know, thing that's going on now, and Mm. and it's just and you and and you go, you know, uh, and it's and it's because we are not agreeing on what reality is.
0: So tell me what it's like the first time you move in. Sorry, the first time you walk in before you come back to film. Yeah, because even having a camera changes things. Yes. Tell me about that second time you visit when you just go to some comedy
1: clubs. Yep. what's it like the first time you walk into a Cuban comedy club? The the first it's I actually walk into a theater, okay, right, which which is full with one and a half thousand people, oh. and they've paid like seventy five cents, right? And it feels like I'm back in the Vaudeville days, right? Because these people are are, are seeing. Um, you know, five or six comedians who were talking about, you know, life in Cuba com- you know, complaining about everything. Um and uh they uh you know the the, the feel of life uh watching something that it, 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 it affects them completely is just so immediate that that the the feel of, of the room is just it's just electric. Okay. And this happens every Thursday night at the <laughs> aptly name um, theater America, okay all right, not to, be, not to be confused with a Karl Marx theater down the road um, and, um, uh, and then and then from there, and that 's the real sort of like neighborhood theater where everybody goes like in the old days of, of of vaudeville and then and then you go to a club the same night at at midnight, I go to a club to film one of the other comedians. And the whole club is filled with people who have paid fifteen dollars remember remember the the oncologists who who earned twelve dollars a month? Well, it was fifteen dollars to get into this club and ten dollars a drink right and i'm walking looking at these people going, "Who are you like you know who who's coming here um and that's and that's sort of like the dichotomy of, of society and this is, this is the other great thing that i've I've learned uh, since the, the documentary is that in any society whether it's a capitalist or a socialist or communist society the the 80% of the wealth of the country is owned by 20% of the people in any government, <laughs> right, regardless of that. And, uh, and yeah, you know, you've got, um, you know, where, where, whatever they call themselves, um, you know, there's still people who are living very well and lots of poverty on the other side and, you know, and, and so on. Um, America has just closed off the ports to cruise ships. They were getting a bit of money coming in from cruise ships um, uh, because, you know, at the very least you have... Um, uh, somebody going on a ride on, on one of the beautiful um, um, vintage cars around around Havana. So that's closed off now. Um, and, of course, I had access to uh, Vivir del Cuenta, which is the top sitcom in Cuba, which is basically for all guys playing dominoes, bitching about life, right? And that makes the country stop completely, right? The streets are empty. And the reason... And the reason is is because they've been doing that for 10 years and they're allowed to say that. And, and like it says in the documentary that you know, Castro used to uh, watch the show and ask for a tape if he missed the show. And he used to tell his ministers to watch the show so they could get a, a handle of what was happening on the ground in the streets from watching the comedy show. And, um, uh, and Luis Silva, who's like in his 30s but plays his 80-year-old man, Tells his great story where a few years ago, uh, you know, they had one of the biggest events in recent Cuban history, which is the first American president to travel to Cuba, which is Obama. And he gets a a call from the embassy and it says, Oh, you know, we want Obama and Pamphilo, his character, which is the most famous comedy character in Cuba, to do something. And they go, and he thinks, Okay, well, he's probably going to do a big speech. I'll come out first, you know, and then say, And here's Obama, welcome. And so on. He goes, no, 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 no. He wants to come to your house. Right. (laughs) So he actually wants to come to the show. And uh, and there's this amazing scene where there's the three old guys playing dominoes, talking in Spanish. And the fourth person playing dominoes is Barack Obama. Um, You know, and and suddenly it's like all all the political boundaries have just like like broken down. Um, And that actually put uh, put the show that it made world news. Um, and and from then on they started sort of traveling outside of cuba and um and so on um the other thing i found with them with them is that they are the poorest people but the best educated people in in the world
0: so where does the education come from
1: because it's free right uh this is the weird thing there's uh i interviewed a, a cuban comedian uh, ivan ivan bermejo who who is a cuban comedian in miami and another cuban comedian in spain uh we've had uh, three Four comedians that have been taken to court in Spain in the last two or three years for things that they've said on television. So he's uh, he's actually saying we've got more freedom in Cuba to do comedy than we have in Spain because in in Cuba you only have to worry about one thing, which is not offending the government. In in Europe you have to worry like you know, and a lot of other places now you have to worry about a, a whole stack of other things that uh, of that can be offensive. And then and then the. The guy who uh, who is in Miami, he does his great routine about the fact that you go, He goes and visits his Cuban relatives in Miami, and um, you know they have to work three jobs and they're always asleep because you know if if you if you if you are American, you basically one job is just to pay your health insurance, and you know and then two jobs are basically at, at basic minimum wages. And uh, and there's this great moment where his his cousin is lying on the on the couch asleep with a dribble sort of falling down, and and the other cousins going, no no, don't wake him up, don't wake him up. He's living the American dream. <laughs> 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 that
0: perspective is incredibly interesting though, because it, it goes back to that idea of what we were talking about before about the blue and black cup, which yes. is the idea that you know the the message has become also. So per- pervasive yeah. that we've lost sight of the truth. Absolutely. And that is such a great example yeah. of a joke, a yeah. line, a moment, being able to convey yep. a much bigger truth. Yep. So you've you've examined this. This is kind of the area where in some ways you've become, you, you've made your specialty, which mm-hmm. is examining through the work that you're doing the role that comedy Plays in, in a society
1: in in different roles, yeah, and how and how it's used, and and you know, I I I, I think I'd like to take it into into places where, you know, uh, what is so funny about other countries, uh, Saudi Arabia? What is so funny about Venezuela? What is so funny, you know, because they're still, regardless of 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 um, how uh, oppressive and oppressive is also a you know an objective objective word, um, a society is, there's always comedy. There's always somebody, you know, trying to use comedy as a, as a pressure valve to release uh, the tension.
0: Where's the, I guess, the scariest place to do comedy that you've been to? Like, you know, in regard to that, you know, in regard to being worried about, you know, what the government is or, or the trouble that you might get into, where do you think the hardest place... To do comedy is of the places that you've experienced.
1: Oh, that I've experienced? Yeah. Um, Most places you get a tap on the shoulder beforehand. Before anything, a know, bit of a you know. this is
0: what you can and can't say. Yeah,
1: yeah. You pull that back, you mm. know. Not much more. Not much more than if you were working. You know, if you're working in a radio station or working mm. in a television television station, where somebody's going to tap you on mm. the shoulder saying, you know, just pull mm. that back. Or, yeah. You know, or you know, or you might not get called back as a guest. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> again, that whole thing. You know, but we all know. We all know what where, where, where to toe the line in. If, if we want to sort of keep keep working, and there's uh, in, in most places, it's not much more than that. There are places, you know, where they're still beheading people and and uh, just for speaking out and and. Let alone comedy but even just for criticizing the society um, so so um, uh, but as far as uh, so, you know so Latin America uh, still a lot of uh, a lot of comedy that gets used but also it's not necessarily some of the problems in some of those countries it's not necessarily the government but also um, the drug cartels that you know run those countries and you know uh, the, the, the corruption and, and and so on so it's it's not necessarily uh, mm. rules that are, yeah, uh, you can
0: make as much fun of the government as you like I'd yeah. stay away from the cartel material
1: <laughs> which is exactly the the case yeah. you know I mean you know you, you, you can you can you can make you can make fun of, of the politician mm. but if you make fun of, of you know the the mobster down the street it's yeah. a whole different thing <laughs>
0: yeah that's a personal problem that's a personal problem yeah. ass, you know. he's gonna take that. that's not going to be a government yeah. initiative yeah. he'll right. just take that up yeah. with you personally he's
1: it's not, it's not gonna give you any publicity out of yeah it yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, can I ask you about, uh, what do you think the, uh, influence, because we talk about this society we live in now where, you know, things are much more international, you know, like even when I started doing comedy, there was no YouTube, there was no No. podcast, these sort of things. Whereas now, um, you know, some of these countries, like you said, you know, you might be limited in your internet and these sort of things. But I imagine that the cultural influence of America in particular is being felt around the world. Do you is the style of stand-up comedy that you are seeing influenced by the huge American comedians or is it still very everywhere, distinct?
1: Everywhere. Um the 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 style of stand-up comedy as a matter of fact, you could walk into any open mic anywhere in the world and you're going to find the same guy who who's who's, who's going who who has done open mics for 3 years has got 5 minutes of material uh but wants to tell you what comedy is and isn't. <laughs> Um, things that Hannah Gatsby should have done more jokes on Annette. <laughs> Literally. I have heard I have heard that in seven different languages. I have heard that in seven different languages. Right. <laughs>
0: um talk to me. It's about a, It's
1: in the documentary. It's because I, so... I I I showed Nanette to a group yes. of young comedians in, in Cuba, yes. right? And at one point I she's talking about uh, Bill Cosby, right? And I turned to them and said, Do you know who Bill Cosby is? And they all go, No. Go, okay, keep watching, right? And they keep watching, right? And then, and sure enough, we finished the documentary and it opened up a great discussion to them about what they could say and not say and how their parents were more afraid of saying the wrong thing than they are. Um, but f- fuck, the first thing the guy says is like, to me, it looks more like a TED talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck it. Yeah. I was like, "Well, there you go. Well, there you you go. can be a you can be an open yeah, micer in right. any country in the go. world." <laughs> I'll bring you her next show <laughs> where she gets to mention you. Right?
0: Can I talk to you about that though? Because uh, it is in the documentary, but not just you. Also, when Nanette came out and people started making those sort of comments, yeah. you were one of the people who, you know, I, I saw online, you know, talking about. The idea that comedy can be all sorts of things
1: absolutely the, the thing is in, in, in any field right, and you hear that in, in in music, in jazz, in comedy in any in any art form, as soon as you say this is what comedy is, this is what it 's not, you are never going to be a Hannah Gatsby, okay you are never going to be a Tim Mitchen because what you have just done is you 've set the parameters for your creativity right that 's what you 've done. And you and and now you have just fenced yourself in into what you think comedy is. What what Nanette did for me, right? And I saw it on on stage uh, here in Melbourne, and I walked out. Uh, and this is the other this is the other thing that 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 there is there was like a, a safe rooms and all that sort of thing. Where where and now there was one for the comedy festival where where you know people are warning you about shows and stuff like that. And 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 I remember and I remember coming out of what, seeing Nanette for the first time and feeling like I had been. Punched in the face really hard, right? And I'm still fucking grateful for that punch, right? You know, so so it's like don't don't safeguard me from comedy, right? <laughs> let me deal with it. You know, let me get hit and get kicked in the head. And um, uh, and the first, and of course the, what 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 she did with that is that for the first half, and having done comedy for thirty years, you know, to see somebody who actually teaches you something new. Because what she does for, with, that sh- with the first half of the show is she pulls the whole thing apart. She takes out the machinery and says, this is what comedy works. This is how it doesn't work. This You know, all that sort of thing. And, uh, and she says, and then she puts it all back together, right? And, and then shoots you between the eyes, right? And says, it doesn't work for me. And I'll tell you why. And then tells you. And then she walks off. And she doesn't owe you anything. She doesn't owe you a final laugh, not the final gag, nothing. She just says, thank you very much. I've said what I had to say. I'm out of here, Right. And that's when you sort of see there going, wow, this is not – there's a, a great uh, reviewer from the London Times and he had the, the three E's of what a great show was. And, was. and it was entertainment, enlightenment and ecstasy, right? And when those three things come together in one show, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, you're not going to remember it for being a musical or, or a comedy or a drama. You're going to remember it for the effect that it had on you and where it took you. Man,
0: you speak about comedy in such a great way. I love it. Um, uh, we, we I, I could honestly talk to you all day, but there's a whole bunch of uh, regular questions that yes. I ask on the podcast, and I want to get to ask you those questions sure. as well. So I need to start asking those, or we'll run out of time. Yep. So uh, one of the ones I always ask, and this is kind of the basis of the, you know, the the podcast yep. where where it started was that um, I have. Always been interested in what people think the meaning of life is. That's, mi- that's oh. basic. And look, I know it's a big question. Yep. So I always like to ask it first by just starting this, which is what do you think happens when you die? Nothing. So if you believe <laughs> that nothing happens when you die, yes. which is probably what I it's believe a, it's a, as
1: well. It's a very Spanish, uh, uh, Spanish and Jewish thing, uh, which is why you have things like running with the bulls in Spain, because Spaniards are constantly tempting death right. and trying to live at that, at that, uh, at that level.
0: Okay so so that's living life like there's no nothing after life right yes. the idea that there's nothing better than this so i must live my best life now well, there's nothing
1: better or worse
0: there's nothing yeah at all yeah end fin over
1: yeah and 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 having having um lost people close to me and uh you know feeling the need to feel them again you know and looking having to look down at graves or people in coffins I get that. I still get that feeling that it's over, Red Rover. It's like, no, it just you know.
0: So then, okay. So if that is the case, if if the, if nothing happens after you die, well, if you believe that nothing happens you, after you, you die, you live
1: on. You live on through the people that know yeah. you. Yeah,
0: yeah, through the memories about this. Yes. You know, as Keanu Reeves famously said, <laughs> <laughs> "Those who loved you will miss you." And, Whoa, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, however. Mm-hmm. Um, so then how does that inform the way you live your life? I guess is the follow-up question.
1: Um, try to make the most, uh, uh, as I can. Try not, try not to, not, not to be bored and, and, and not to be, I've always had a thing about, I've never been afraid of losing a job, of walking away from a job. Um, and consequently. Why
0: do you think that is?
1: Um, I think it's because going back to the whole Rustin thing of, of having the knowledge that you can create something else. Um, so I, I walked away from, you know, Acropolis now at the, at the height of it, you know, I didn't like the way the show was going. Um, and no, I I haven't been probably as well known as some of my, my, my peers, but fuck, I've had a great time, (laughs) like a really good time. And for the last seven years when, um, um, you know, I got a phone call one, one day to go and work on a, on a cruise ship, um, and you know, work through an agency in, in Miami now they just send me around the world. And also, can I say that 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 job actually ticks off the same thing of finding the similarities between people because every week I perform to about 2,000 people from all different countries—Americans, Canadians, Australians, British—all in the one room. And but so, how we never, never de- get that on land.
0: So yes, so the, the cruise ship thing is fascinating to me because yeah. it terrifies me because I just don't want to be stuck with my audience. That's the that's thing right. that—that's the thing that terrifies me. Yes. Not the shows. The no, no. shows seem fantastic. No, no, no. Running into my audience yeah. at the buffet breakfast terrifies no. well, me. Well, what
1: little. I do, my trick is, I actually finish the show with "Don't talk to me." <laughs> if you see me around the ship, don't. Talk to me, because I don't want that 95-year-old lady in the buffet coming up to me when I'm sitting next to a family that hasn't seen the show the last night, walking past going, you were great last night, and walk. (laughs)
0: Limping off. That's why she's limping. So tell me this: um, when you do have to perform to all those people from different worlds and different perspectives, yep. what do you? Where do you find the universal universality of experience to make them all laugh together?
1: Um, in in the themes that we all share: um, families, parents, kids, um, uh, the way we look at the way we look at life, the way the way we look at, look at each other. Um, and, um, um, you know, it's, it's actually quite a trick to actually be able to perform to an audience that size of, of people with all different things. I mean, when I talk about my, my Spanish parents and, and, you know, my kids and my teenage kids and, and, and so on, and you have a black couple from Alabama coming up to you at the end of the show going, you know, it's like you were in my house and you go, wow. Okay. So, you know, we've made a connection.
0: Do you find in those moments that, and, and this is the one of the great things that I always love about stand-up comedy, and, you know, look, this may be overthinking the mm-hmm. role of stand-up comedy, but I think if I'm ever going to talk to somebody who probably is sympathetic to the ideas that I have, yep. you're probably the guy mm-hmm. from what you've done and the work that you've done is... The thing that I love most that I always come back to about stand up and why I love it is you take a room full of people Mm -hmm. who may never, ever get along in any other way in the rest of their life or may never even run into each other in the rest of their life. Mm. And then in that moment, just for that hour, they all share this experience and they laugh at the same jokes and they're in the same moment and they do it all together and then they just go off and they... They may never know that they were there together no. in that I, 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 remember, I
1: remember Ostentation, Ostentation's uh, looking down at me because, you know, he's like six foot eight, whatever it is, and, you know, and, and going, Simon, mate, Simon, Simon mate, mate, <laughs> I'm into confrontation. I'm into conflict. I'm into co-. And I, I remember yeah. looking up at him going, why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> What's the point? Isn't there enough in the world? You know? You know, yeah. I'd rather you know, I'd rather I'd rather going to a room and just have a good time with people. You know about some of the stupid shit that we do.
0: I feel like we've probably covered it in what you're saying, but do you have a philosophy for your comedy? What it is that you are trying to achieve every time when you walk out on stage?
1: Um, to to uh, find find the the common thread with everybody.
0: Uh, okay, so we've covered off what happens when you die. Uh, we've covered off. Uh, well, here's oh. what. I'm doing a show
1: next year at the comedy festival called The Dash, so which goes with with the, your question. And the Dash is about is about you know in on a, on a tombstone you've got the year of birth. Oh yes, and you, then you've got the year of death, and in between those two dates there's a dash. Dash. It's what do you do with that?
0: Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, uh, what do you hope that people say about you when you die? Like if you know if if someone could if if people remember you. Yeah. What would you hope that they remember of you? Ah. Oh. I know it's a hard question to ask people yeah. and it's hard to get somebody to say that about themselves, but yeah. this is a safe space.
1: <laughs> You're allowed to <laughs> have a group hug. If, um, if
0: people have like, you know, made it this far in, I always feel like it's a time where we can, what would you like, you know, like people to have think about you and knowing you and have watched you and, you know, having you as part of their lives. What would, when they think of Simon, yeah. what would you like them to be thinking?
1: I I hope that they got from me, The courage to do what they want to do with themselves.
0: What's your greatest strength? Do you think
1: my greatest strength? Perseverance.
0: What's your greatest weakness?
1: My greatest weakness. Um, um, Sometimes bluntness. Uh, I uh, diplomacy is not one of my big (laughs) one of my things. I mean, people. I mean, I love, I love, I love love politics, but people go, "You should go into politics." I go, "I can't. I really cannot go." Into politics, I mean, it it'd be
0: up, a good, it'd be a good week. It would be, a good, yeah.
1: <laughs> it would be, be a good, a very week. entertaining you know, week. Some scandal will come up. There'll be a gerbil involved in there, in my background somewhere, and it'll be all, all over. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's just uh, uh, my. I think, I think, weakness is probably, probably not finishing stuff. I've got two degrees which I never finished, and I think it's because it, they get, I get to the point where I just go, I just go, I've got enough. Yeah, uh, you know, I've got, I've got. Uh, uh, i did an an mba in entertainment management which i ended up i ended up teaching um at university because i love the idea that that artists take care of themselves financially right um I, I really hate the the idea of of people um uh living in this sort of like artistic daydream that you know it's all about the music and you know and then they get to 40 or 50 (laughs) and they're burned out and you know and they've got no money and all that sort of thing and you go no it's not just about the music it's also about um you know being if if you if you're using your 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 energy your artistic energy to worry about that pile of bills on the kitchen table which we've all been there um then then you're not using that energy. So I do I do believe in people, you know, people taking care of themselves. And and like I say to my kids, it's like it's like, you know, just pay the bills. They, they work in cafes and restaurants and they also play music and write and the, and and write their own stuff and all that sort of thing, but you know, just take care of yourself.
0: Did you have a philosophy of being a parent? Did was there a, something that you felt was very important, you know, when it came to being a parent?
1: Um Maintaining my sanity, especially <laughs> through, the, through the teenage years, um, I, I've, I've got two beautiful sons who uh, they're, they're now. Uh, I, I still talk about my, um, you know, them being teenagers and going through their emos emo stage, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, all <laughs> right, you've got a very young guy in the room and you're laughing his head off. But, um, uh, and, and that's where most of my material comes from. And now they're, they're 25 and 27 and they're, they're very uh, smart, uh, very sensible guys who give me no fucking material whatsoever. <laughs> nothing. They give me nothing. You
0: know? uh, what are you most proud of in your life?
1: Uh, in my life, my most proud of, I, I think, I think putting two two beautiful human beings on on this earth, uh, my sons, um, and uh, you know I've done, uh, and I think I have to say that that artistically, um, after wogs at work, the word wog in the Macquarie Dictionary was actually uh, uh, there was an addition, change to the dictionary, where it says um, maybe use as a term of endearment um, uh, within certain groups. So I think if at some point you get a chance to sort of change an insult into a term of endearment and it's actually officially in a dictionary, that's a pretty good thing.
0: I think that's a pretty amazing thing. Okay. Um, uh, I, this is kind of my standard final question. Okay, uh, If you had a, a time machine, and uh, you get to go back to a moment of your life. Now, in that moment, you can change the moment if you yep. want to change the moment. You can have it over, or you could just uh, sit there and watch a moment of your life happen, if you like. You know, uh, Do you take the time machine, and which moment would you go to?
1: Uh, I have this conversation with my, with my sons a lot because they're, they're, they're uh, products of a, of a divorce. So I always, always say to them, uh, you know, if I had to go back and do certain things, some of the things that that some people would consider mistakes or working with s- certain people have actually created some of the most beautiful th- things in my life so if 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 i knew then what i know now i would have been a very weird 24 year old <laughs> right <laughs> okay um the fact that you know i became more rich and famous than i imagined at 26 uh with no idea of money which which then sort of lost that was the biggest the biggest lessons lesson in my life um Probably maybe go back and sort of, and sort of uh, with a bit more knowledge of, about – I didn't know what an accountant was. And also the fact was that my father was a dyed-in-the-wool socialist communist and he thought anybody who was rich was a crook. And then at 26, I was rich. Me, <laughs> all right? And, and that sort of put me – and, and when, you're not, when you don't wear it well, right, you, you just give it away. Or, or you start producing shit shows that you know. Then you start losing the money. And go yeah, well you know it's like it's like winning a lottery, mm. and and uh, most people who win lotteries are broke after five years. And um, you know it's it's the history of rock and roll and comedy. You know.
0: Uh, mate this has been an absolute pleasure I, it, I, it's always a delight to have an opportunity to chat with you I, I've, I've loved this every bit of it uh, you're the best uh, so you're going to do a show next year at the comedy festival called Dash, the Dash yeah. are you going to take it to Adelaide and other places or just Melbourne I'll, 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 uh, it'll be around it'll be around yeah. where do people find information about uh, you if they're doing if they want to come and see you live
1: uh, through um, my uh, through my website and Facebook and, yep. and, and, and Instagram
0: and uh, the film where can people see the new uh, film the
1: film we're waiting to um, to hear from uh, uh, the film festivals around around Melbourne. There's five thousand film festivals around the world now. So documentary festivals, Latino festivals, political uh, film festivals, um, and of course, you know, we're going to try. We're going to go straight for Sundance and Tribeca and all those, and and um, and see what happens. But um, uh, there'll be it'll be around. It's called it's called uh, Latico, uh Whip. And, um, um, you know, we've got trailers around and all that sort of things. And I don't
0: always ask this because uh, I, like, you know, I often, my philosophy, (laughs) one of my philosophies is Mm. let people have the moment they're experiencing rather than always asking them. One of the questions that always comes up in interviews when I'm being interviewed is like, they'll talk to you about all the things you're doing and they go, and so what's next? And you're like. I don't know. I don't know. Like I've I've, I've I'm, yeah. I just talked to you about all the things that yeah. I'm doing right now. Yeah. But I feel like you might have a couple of pet projects up on your board that that you would like to get to, I think.
1: You know with the the thing with the cruise ships. I mean like now my next my next gig is actually um two months around the Mediterranean summer. You know doing shows in small luxury cruises. Sounds it's, terrible.
0: It's, it's, it sounds like a I, really hard time you're about to I know, have.
1: I know. And I can't even write a comedy show about that because there's nothing tragic about it. It's actually an amazing gig. Yeah. All right. And they're paying me in American dollars. And please, please, Scott Morrison keeps stuffing up the economy because you are making me rich. Um <laughs>
0: Simon Bellamaris, this has been a pleasure mate thank you so
1: much good to see you again mate